This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We're in this series called That You May Know. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. And the heart behind this series as we go through 1 John is to give assurance of salvation. Uh, Today we're in part two, chapter two, looking at love, not the world. And we're going to walk through a tension that every believer has felt and will continue to feel until the Lord returns or calls you home. Uh, But it's it's the heart of this series is that that person that I often encounter here in our community and often in our church that will say something to me like, uh, I just hope in the end the good Lord lets me in. And we are here to tell you, if you place faith alone in Christ alone, repent of your sins, place faith in Christ, we want you to walk in assurance, not a, I hope it all pans out in the end attitude. We don't, we don't ever want you to think that in the end you're going to stand before God and there will be a scale, good stuff on one side, bad stuff on the other, and so long as the good outweighs the bad, that's your ticket in. No, Jesus is your ticket in. And today we're talking about the source of our salvation, the overflow of our salvation, that we would not confuse the two. And so if we go to 1 John chapter 5 to start, this is where we get the title for this series. John says, I write these things to you, and this is very important. To those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, he's speaking to believers, people who have placed faith in Jesus. I I write these things to believers that you may know, that you may have confidence in Jesus as the source of your salvation, that you have confidence in your salvation, that you know you have eternal life. That's the heart behind this series. So let's jump into chapter 2, verse 1. And really, the first three words give us the tone of this book. My dear children, when I read it, I read it from a fatherly tone, wanting to give instruction and assurance to to his children. I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. Much like as a father, my kids are grown now, but when they were home, my, my love for them and their love for me, it put us in relationship together. And then the way they behaved in our home uh, had nothing to do with whether or not I was still their dad. Their behavior reflected how much love they were showing back, right? And their desire to to be in relationship with me and live it out in our home. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Can't be any clearer than that. Last week we were in chapter 1. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know when you are saved, at the very moment of your salvation, you were freed from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? The wages of sin is death. At that very moment, you were freed from that penalty. Now, you're being sanctified. You are being freed from the power of sin. We do have the power over sin, and he gives that to us. And then one day, and you can amen this if you feel so led, you will be freed from the very presence of sin. We're freed from the penalty, we're being freed from the power, and we will be freed from the presence. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. And some of you will go, well, what if I do? Will I be canceled? Will I lose my salvation if I sin? Keep reading. But if anybody does sin, you know, the assumption there is you will. 
after you get saved. But this is not a license. We don't get our salvation, have eternal life, and it's like, now I will go live however I want to live. No. We write this, you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and all God's people said. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, let's go where angels dare to trod, for those who believe in limited atonement, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world. Does that mean the whole world will be saved? No. Does that mean the invitation for salvation goes out to the whole world? Yes. Not all will accept the invitation, but he died for your sins, for mine, and it says for the whole world. So this is where the tension begins today for us. If you're brand new to the faith, you're going to read in just a few moments where we're told to not love the world. But even if you did not grow up in church and you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably seen a football game and maybe it'll be there next week, someone holding up a sign that says John 3.16. You've seen the reference if you haven't seen the words. For God so loved the world. How do we reconcile? God loved the world. We are called not to love the world. It's this simple. Let's keep it lower shelf for all of us. This world is speaking of the people of the world. The world we look at today in verses 15, 16, and 70 is the ways, the attitudes of the world. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So here's the tension. You and I, follower of Jesus, we need to stiff arm. I'm trying to use football illustrations. You appreciate what I'm doing there? We need to stiff arm the ways of the world while embracing the people of the world. And this creates a tension that I don't believe we'll ever solve. We are to stiff arm the ways, the attitudes, the systems, and how the world operates while embracing the people of the world. For God so loved the world, but we are to be in the world, not of the world. The problem is with this tension, we see a lot of believers today doing just the opposite of this. Many Christians do just the opposite. They stiff arm the people of the world and embrace the ways of the world. I wrestled all week with sharing this illustration, and, uh, and I'm, I'm keeping it in for, for the rest of the morning because it, it's very personal for me. It's, it hits close to home. I know it's on a very sensitive topic. That's why if we're talking about tension today, I'm just here to tell you you're probably going to experience a lot of it during this message. But I want to share with you a pastor who's meant a lot to me over the years, 40 years, faithful ministry, Pastor Alistair Begg. Uh, out of Ohio, and many of you might recognize him from a video we've shown here uh, called The Man on the Middle Cross. If you haven't seen that, I, I just want to encourage you in your notes or just put it in the notes section of your phone. Go home today and, and Google Man on the Middle Cross and watch this quick clip of him preaching that when the thief of the cross shows up and the angel's asking him, why should we let you in? And the, and the guy's like, I don't know. All I know is that the man on the middle cross said I could come. I still, that video still gets me. I've seen that thing four bazillion times. And it still gets me every time, knowing that it is Jesus who said I could come. So this, he has been a faithful servant of the Lord. And he is so solid on Scripture. He's one of the few preachers that I listen to. Well, he found himself this week in the crosshairs of cancel culture. And I'm, I, am, I have become convinced that if you are going to faithfully carry out the Scriptures and you're going to teach and preach, at some point you will be in those crosshairs. 
If you want to walk with the Lord and and deal with this tension of embracing the people of the world while stiff-harming the ways of the world, just get ready. And he had his moment, and when it started popping up, I was like, no, no, no. Last year, just to give you some context, some of you are Googling it right now, don't read articles the rest of the sermon. Let me give you a little brief, and you can go home for further study. But last year, he gave advice to a grandmother in, her, in his church, uh, opposite of the advice that I've given to many of you in this church. And this is where the firestorm storm started. On a podcast, he mentioned that he had shared with a grandmother who had a daughter uh, that was getting married uh, to another woman, and he counseled this grandmother who didn't know what to do. Do I attend the wedding or not? And his counsel was that she should, uh, he encouraged her to attend the wedding and to bring a gift uh, so that he could keep a relationship with his granddaughter. And, and uh, man, we have dealt with this. <laughs> I don't know how many times as a church, and this is the tension. I just, I, and, and you're like, there's no tension here. Then you're not reading the same Bible I'm reading because it's, it's, it's a tension. Now, I, I want to give you, Pastor Begg and I agree 100% on marriage from the Scripture. It's between a man and a woman for a lifetime. Okay, we, we believe, he is so solid. He's, had, he's preached uh, on college campuses where he preaches the biblical definition of marriage, and he's had walkouts. That, that hasn't gone viral, uh, but this, this did. And so he, here was a 70-year-old man last week who was trying to unravel from this and trying to figure it out. And, it, and um, what I saw was one of my mentors, uh, <laughs> Gary Smalley up there, he's on his phone last week trying to find a a message that he got from someone, and it was, he's such a great speaker, but he, he had these moments where he's like, it's like, you've been with your grandparents, no, that's not it, no, that's not it, and my, my heart was breaking, uh, so yeah, I teach, I've counseled at this church, and I've counseled many of you, I would have to change everything I teach about marriage when you know the line we have, every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. And I do not believe when you attend a wedding, you're just an onlooker. You are a participant. Like you are a backup singer to the duet that is forming there. And, and, and you're like, well, I would go. I wouldn't celebrate if I went. And I know many of you didn't go to the ceremony, but you stopped by the uh, reception to, you know, support a, a brother or sister whose child was getting married. I mean, I just, I know, I know. I mean, we've experienced, I I would not go, and I know that's not an easy decision either. I would not go. I don't encourage people to go we, because of what we believe about marriage and what we believe about attending a wedding. And Pastor Begg was very clear last. Uh, he gave this grandmother that advice. His lot on his staff did not agree with him. And uh, he's a great radio show. American Family Radio canceled his radio show uh, last week. Uh, I'm sure the events are soon to follow. And uh, this is probably a side note. I just... Uh, Christians don't like cancel culture until we do it, until we participate in it. And we participate in it just like the world does. We do. And I, this is a faithful brother who has history, and we're speaking about application of the Scripture here. But he said something this week that is dead on when it comes to this issue in particular, and it's what we're talking about. And I, I just, I'm like, Lord, you give these illustrations to us, embracing the people of the world while stiff-arming the ways of the world And here's what he said, and I think it's so true. He said in his message last week, if you want to go back and listen to it, he goes, when it comes to this issue, we do not revile and we do not affirm. We do not revile, we do not affirm. 
We would say the exact same thing of an alcoholic, wouldn't we? We do not revile, we do not affirm. We would do, say the exact same thing of someone caught in adultery. We do not revile, we do not affirm. To the drug addicted, we do not revile, we do not affirm. Right? And this is a tension that I, I hear some people flippantly will say, it's not a tension for me, it's truth. Well, if, if yes, we, we walk following Jesus, love and truth. Love and truth, not love or truth, not more this than this. It's like this, this is the challenge. And here's the challenge for us, and I think this is the tension that came out in all of this with Pastor Begg this week. We are supposed to have compassion without compromise. And, and the world looks at us and says, you can't. If you don't affirm the choices that I've made, if you don't affirm my lifestyle, you are reviling me. No, I'm not. I will not revile. I will not affirm. This is what we're called to in Scripture. At the same time, compassion without condemnation. And this is a challenge. I brought a gift that somebody got me a couple weeks ago, uh, a new driver, and it's called the SF1. Stands for Slice Fixer One. <laughs> a buddy of mine that I golf with bought it for me. You don't need to know his name. It's Adam Donier. <laughs> and he's tired of chasing me around the golf course, so he bought me this. Tiger Woods coach says it is impossible to slice with this driver. To which I say, ha! <laughs> He'd never met me. I got one of the best slices in this church. When I'm lining up to to hit it that way, I have to line up to the opposite fairway. I scare the people over here. What's this guy doing? Don't worry. <laughs> and I was saying, I haven't, I haven't hit with this yet. I was going to try it this morning to see if I could hit Andrew right there and see if, man, what if it went right down the camera, then it would be true. And some of you are, some of you are looking up the slice fixer one right now, thinking about buying one. You don't need to. I've said it enough. It's in your algorithm. I promise you that. So, uh, I think this is the tension. You sang it as a kid growing up, if you grew up in church. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. And following Jesus. I know some of you here keep it in the middle of the fairway. and You're like, that's lukewarm, that's riding the fence. No, no, no. When I say keep it in the middle of the fairway, with compassion without compromise, compassion without condemnation, I don't want to go over here which I, I'm not going the way of progressive deconstruction that denies the authority of Scripture. And in order to love people, we have to lessen what the Bible says. I'm not, and I don't have a hook anyway, but I'm not going over here. And at the same time, I don't want to go over here to pharisaical condemnation. This is the tension, and I, it's not going to be. So I want to keep after Jesus right down the middle of the fairway. Jesus said this. I think this is so important for us to understand. In John chapter 17... He's praying for his disciples. And, and, and we learn a lot about the world. We learn a lot about their role in it. And he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Understand, if you embrace the people of the world and stiff-arm the ways of the world, you will be hated. This is not a challenge. This isn't like, go out and see today how much you can be hated. No, just go out today and embrace the people of the world while stiff-arming the ways of the world. You will be hated, for they are not of the world. This is not our final home. This is where we are now. Any more than I am of the world, Jesus said. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil. And I remember when Amy and I, for a few years, because of travel, wanted to homeschool our kids. I said, I'm all for homeschooling. I want to do it. It will give them 
plenty of opportunity. I said, so long as we never have the mindset that we're bringing our children in to keep them out of the world. Because that's if, if it's isolation, we don't get that in the Bible. Jesus doesn't pray for that. Protect them. And that's why I would always pray with my kids before they left to go anywhere. Cover them in the blood of Jesus. Protect them from evil. Fulfill your purpose in their life. Protect them from the evil. In verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Set them apart by truth. Your word is truth. And watch, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Do you understand when we gather here, it's not for the purpose of isolation. It's for the purpose of preparation. When we gather, we are being prepared to be sent out. All in the last gathering, I kept pointing. I, what is that, Kimberling City? It must be the most sinful city. I don't know where it is because <laughs> I was letting Forsyth and every other city out east off the hook. But I, you know what I'm saying. I'm just talking about out there. We're to go. And when we go, embracing the people of the world, stiff-arming the ways of the world, you will be hated. The church gathering is for preparation into the world, not isolation from it. And maybe some of you grew up with a denomination that, that just taught, we need to gather a lot because we've got to keep you out of the world as much as possible. We're going to start dressing alike as a church. We're going to start wearing our hair. I mean, we're going to do everything. It's going to be just, we're in lockstep opposite. And if the world looks, we're going to stay out of that as much as possible. And, and some take it so far, they, and you know, I, there's been documentaries on this. There's like compounds built. Walls go up. We buy ammunition. That's a problem. That's isolation. That's not what we're looking for. We're here to prepare to go out into the world. Picking up in verse 3, 1 John chapter 2, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We, come, we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And my question for you today is, do you delight in his commands? Do you delight in it? Like he... he you have a relationship, an intimate relationship with your heavenly father. And when his word speaks and you read it and are convicted, is your response, thank you. Right? Because we, uh, we don't come to the scripture with our agenda or our cause and look for stuff to back that up. We come for the transforming, the renewing of our minds. Like this shapes us, not the other way around. Whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands, and there's no obedience, it says clearly, is a liar. If your, mark, if your life is not marked by obedience, do you know him? And the truth is not in that person, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Again, obedience, the overflow of our salvation, not the source of it. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And we say it around here all the time. We want our orthodoxy, what we believe, to match our orthopraxy. I, I, don't, I don't want to be led by this group or this group over here, the world behind me, the cross before me. Keep it in the middle of the fairway. So the question for us is, to, do we live and are we living like Jesus? We Delight in following Jesus because his teachings are not burdensome. You hear us say this often too. This is, he's not a cosmic killjoy. He has your best interest in mind. His commands are not burdensome. We should be saying thank you for protecting us. Thank you for leading us in the way of everlasting life. We receive that. But you have to be careful. And this is what's happening today too. Speaking of... Uh, 
down the middle of the fairway. Uh, You'll see it all the time. People are making their list about who Jesus is. And really what's happening today, instead of going to the Gospels to discover who Jesus is, the complete Jesus, we've painted our own pictures of Jesus. We just pick and choose what we like, and we kind of go with that, and we begin creating lists. And Adam mentioned it last week. You've got to be very careful of lists. Josh Howerton, the pastor at Lake Point Church in Rockwall, Texas, He's been speaking to this quite a bit because you see like these two sides just fighting with one another and he's like, be real careful when you start putting lists together about who Jesus is. And and let's start with this one. So he says this, this is his list, not mine. Be careful of lists like this. Jesus fed the hungry, loved the poor, was a brown-skinned Middle Eastern undocumented immigrant, (laughs) was outraged at systemic injustice, Elevated women defied the patriarchy, eschewed religious power dynamics, gave health care to those who couldn't afford it. Be like Jesus. Now, he says a couple of things about this list that are true. There are points on this list that are true, but many of them are a stretch of the gospel narratives. Many of them are descriptive, not prescriptive. He says, because you could also put a list together like this. Jesus fought for a traditional definition of marriage. Jesus opposed sex outside of heterosexual marriage. He loved his country. He defied cultural elites. He chose 12 men to lead the church. He affirmed gender as defined by biology. He fought for the infallibility of the Bible. Said people who didn't believe in him didn't know God. Was part of a traditional family. His followers approved the righteousness of military service. Be like Jesus. And this is so important for us to understand. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you know God and you walk with the, the Lord each day, he says, Jesus is our Lord, not our mascot. Jesus does not submit himself to our causes. And you got from those lists, right? You got like, okay, whatever the political issue is of the week, let's, let's make a Jesus that fits that. No, we hear, when, it, when John tells us to live as Jesus did, we want the complete picture of Jesus, not, not one that's crafted around our causes. Our causes must submit themselves to Jesus. One professor uh, at Reformed Seminary, Sinclair Ferguson, he said it so well, and I just want to quote him. He says, many times our Jesus is actually just a reflection of ourselves. Rather than you and I becoming more like Jesus, we've decided who we are, and now we're looking to craft a Jesus that looks like us. He says, this is the constant danger when we don't simply open the Bible and listen to the Bible's testimony about Jesus. We make Jesus in our own image usually domesticated. Any Jesus who isn't both Savior and Lord, sacrificial Lamb of God and reigning King, cannot be the Jesus of the Gospels. And any Jesus who does not call us to radical, sacrificial, and yes, painful discipleship cannot be the real Jesus. Be careful of the list. And now we get to verse 15. We love the people of the world, not the ways of the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 
For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Randy Alcorn explains verse 16 like this. We need to guard against loving the decadent cultural elements that appeal to our sin nature, pride, and independence. These things are not pleasing to God. They actually become idols. And that's why you read in the last chapter, last verse of this book that we're in, John says, dear children, keep yourselves free from idols. Keep yourself free from idols. Randy Alcorn goes on to say, an idol is any God substitute, anything we make bigger than him. If we take some element of popular culture, whether it's our leisure, pastime, hobby, or special interest in sports, arts, or music, and make that an idol instead of serving the Lord, it becomes our God. We are set in orbit around it, and God becomes secondary. Idolatry is when God is removed from the throne and something else is set in its place. But God must always be primary. And here's the bottom line of verses 15 and 16. You either love the world or you love the Father. You can't love both. One is always crowding out the other. So let's for a moment ask ourselves the question, do I have a love for the Father? This week when I woke up and as I went about my day, were my affections stirred throughout the day for my heavenly Father? If not, please hear me. If not, it means one of two things. It either means that you're not born again, but again, this series is not about bringing doubt, but for some in here, you've never placed faith in Jesus. Everything described up to this point is how you've lived your life. People will walk out today from our gatherings frustrated with what's been said up to this point, right? The decisions have been made, but your decision has not been made to have a love for the Father, to be in a relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. And today is the day of your salvation, that you would repent of your sins, that you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, that you would be saved. But for many in here, your affections for the Father were not stirred this week because the the world is crowding it out. And we we can get into percentages and all that, but it's unnecessary for this. But you've allowed this the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, you wanting to live life your way and setting up these idols. It's just been crowding it out. And you're like, Ted, I want my affection stirred on a daily basis for my heavenly Father. Then we begin stiff arming the ways of the world. We don't, we don't, li- and let me just, I have to say it because there's someone's going, I hope the Democrats are listening to this message this morning. <laughs> this is a message for Democrats and Republicans. This is a message for all followers of Jesus. I still go back to what Adrian Rogers said years ago. Followers of Jesus, we must stand outside of the party so that we can call both parties to repentance. We stiff-arm the ways of the world. And you're like, yeah, but sometimes we need to use those ways to get our way. That's the ways of the world. We embrace the people of the world, but we stiff-arm the ways of the world. You either love the, the world or you love the Father. And if your affections aren't being stirred on a daily basis, let that be a moment for you today. Just confess your sins. Go, let's go back to verse 1. Do not sin. But if you do, Jesus is still going before you. And he is faithful and he will forgive you of your sins. And your affections can again be stirred. Ending in this verse today, 1 John 2, 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God 
lives forever. Pastor John Piper says it this way, nobody buys stock in a company that is going bankrupt. Some of you are like, I've done that. (laughs) Nobody buys stock in a company that they know is for sure going bankrupt. It may have happened after you bought the stock. He says, just like nobody sets up house on a sinking ship, no reasonable person would lay up treasure where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, would they? No. The world is passing away. To set your heart on it is only asking for heartache and misery in the end. And these ways of the world that we love to embrace, let me tell you, in the end, they lead to destruction. And as the world goes, they will pass away. So my question for us today, do you have a love for the people of the world? It's why we do messages here, and we'll have some more coming up, our heart for missions. Uh, we, We want that to be growing as a church, and so we do these messages from time to time called to the ends of the earth. We highlight missionaries, and we talk about our heart for the 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 church globally god's heart for people around the world and my question for you is do you have a love for the people of the world this is this is challenging for us because as we you know these people that we're called to embrace right love your neighbor love your enemy a lot of these people that you're embracing here's the tension again have embraced the ways of the world meaning we're embracing people not the ways of the world but means we're embracing people who don't look like us they don't vote like us they don't talk like us i'll even add in there they don't sin like us and we we embrace them knowing that god's heart is for the whole world another question do you have a love for the teachings of jesus for the teachings of scripture do you come to the bible wanting to be transformed in your mind, by the renewing of your mind? Do you, do you want to know what the truth is and live in that rather than the ways you've been living? Do you have that love? We want you to have this assurance of salvation. Do you have a love for the Father? Are your affections stirred for Him? If you're new to our church, it's, uh, and several people have I've been getting texts, people, t- I love that some of you text me during a sermon, like I'm going to respond to you during a sermon. I guess I'll come back to you in just a little bit. But it's a whole message on tension, and you've probably felt it uh, during this message. But I ask a lot of people, tell me about your relationship with God. And I'll ask you the same thing. Tell me about your relationship with God. What would you say if I were, it's just me and you, over coffee, right now at Clockers, Cracker Barrel, Bob Evans. Tell me about your relationship with your Heavenly Father. What would you say? I've heard them all. I believe in God. Do you love the Father? Do you delight in the teachings of Jesus? Do you love the people of the world while stiff-arming the ways of the world? I hear this a lot. I was saved as a child. I hear people say all the time, I grew up in a Christian home. I hear people say, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I know what they mean. I grew up in a Christian home, and at some point, I walked an aisle, and I made a decision. Some will say, I go to church. I give. Here's all the good stuff that I've done, and, and the question, and I think... Adam did such a wonderful job with it last week. (laughs) Uh, mm. Are you counting on Jesus as your source of salvation? He is the way, the truth, and the life, not the ways of the world. Not the ways that you've been counting on. And my prayer for you that don't know the Lord, that today would be the day of your salvation. My prayer for those who know the Lord, but your affections haven't been stirred for a while. Uh to ask what what are the ways of the world that need to be pushed back 
I can't remove you from the world. I'm not removed from the world. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's a challenge. And I think this side of heaven, that'll be a tension we walk with until the Lord returns or calls us home. Would you pray with me? Father, every week we deal with issues of life and death, and today is no different. So today, for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would repent of their sins, confess Jesus as Lord, believe in their heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead, no longer counting on their works or their ways or their history or their family for their salvation, but trusting only in Jesus. I pray today for the believer whose affections need to be stirred for Christ. And they leave here in a, a, a place of worship, a place of desiring to embrace the teachings of Christ. I feel led to pray for Pastor Beg. Ah, just give peace of heart and mind to him as he wrestles through this tension as we all do. Every single one of us has to. And we won't always get it right in the application, uh, but your word is right 100% of the time. So give us wisdom and discernment. We pray all this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said...